the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Today, we will continue to unpack this discussion concerning why the Sana'a manuscript is known as the Palimpsest. Dr. J. Yeah, this is a fascinating thing. I remember when this was first discovered. I, I don't know if you remember this. This is quite a few years ago, back in the 19th. Uh, well, we heard about it really in the 1980s, 1990s, and then 2000 when the, when the article came out by Lester on this. But uh, we, this has been going on this this whole f- f- uh, f- furore about what is the implications of the Sana'a manuscript, uh, if it is uh, a the earliest manuscript in existence, the fact that it didn't have any dots or vowels, the fact that it had uh, orthography that, wa- that was unique. And the dating, of course, was the first question that was asked. What are the dates? What are the dates? What are the dates? This... Uh, and that's why you the carbon dating that, that we've just looked at, the carbon dating shows that this could be even pre-Islamic. Uh, and so that kind of shot that whole thing to pieces. So we had to go back, and you need to go back to the people who have been looking at it the longest. And so what we're going to do now in this episode, I want to just do some quotes that have come out from different scholars and then look at Shoemaker and see how he comes. I want to look at Doroche. Uh, I would look at uh, others like a Salard. Uh, or another, uh, I would like to also look at Sedegi and Bergman, the ones that were pushing the carbon dating. And I like just look at their quotes. Because even what they say, paleographically and orthography, orthographically, when you look at the orthography, when you look at the paleography, you can see that you will have to push it back further than what the radiocarbon datings are saying. That's right. Now, so let's go to some of these quotes. Dorosh is probably the best to start with because he is the one that is considered to be the world's leading scholar on archaic manuscripts. He's been working on it the longest. He is French. He is from uh, Paris. He was he works at the Bibliothèque Nationale, and and so in in Paris. So he is the one that has looked at and the the Petropolitanus manuscript is one of his prides and joy. And, of course, he's written all about the Uthmanic recension. He re- talks about the Uthmanic manuscripts. That's one of his books that came out. But he doesn't agree with the Uthmanic paradigm. He doesn't agree with the, the Noldekishwali paradigm, not because he, 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 does, he has a presupposition not, uh, to disagree or that he comes to a predilection to disagree. It's because of what science is telling him. 
correct because of the orthography, because of the paleography. So let's, I'm going to go to one of his quotes, and this is from his book in 2014, where he talks about the Sanaa and the dating. He says, one can date the Sanaa uh, manuscript. Let me just... One can date the Sanaa of Palimpsest, I'm saying, by looking at the format. Now, Palimpsest, as we said earlier, two different layers. That's right. One, one is, is washed, washed off. off. Yeah. The other, once it's washed off, it has to be it has to be then rewritten, or it is written, written over top. And once you write over top, obviously, you can. There is a different text. There's a different manuscript, uh, a different script, and so that's what we're we're, we're referring to. And he says. One can date the Sana Palimpsest by looking at the format, the orthography, and the paleography with which the Quran was written on this parchment, especially its underlying layer. That's the lower text. Dorosh dates the Quranic text that was originally written on it. That means the lower text, the, the first script, uh, because it is a Palimpsest. And he says this Sana manuscript contains two texts at once, an original text, that's the lower one, that has been erased but that can be still be read. And that's true. It's it's still easy. And what happens is when you wash it off, at that time it can't be read because you wash it off, you get all the ink off. Hundreds of years later, the ink starts to bleed through. Once the ink starts to bleed through then, of course, you can read it. And that's why they knew that this was a polymcist. Mm-hmm. And so he says, the when in the original text, the lower, and the presence of surah titles and decorative features between the surahs indicate a later date. He says in the late... 7th or early 8th centuries. That's the date he puts it. So roughly around Abdul Malik al-Hajjaj's time. Abdul Malik 685 to 705 uh, and al-Hajjaj the same thing. So early, he most of it in Dorosh, when push and comes to shove, he did say 705. Let's go, let's say 790 to, sorry, 690 to 705. That's the date he puts it at. Again, that's not 650. This is a good 40 to 50 years later. Sadeg and Bergman, who are the ones that did the radiocarbon dating, notice what they what they say when they look at it paleographically and orthographically. Interestingly, they don't give the same date now. This is what they say. They claim that have to have identified short vowel marks in the text, which, if accurate, as Durosh had noted, would further indicate a later dating of this chronic manuscript. So by looking at the vowelization, they realize that this does not fit then what we see in the radio coverage. So even they are willing to say <laughs> that that there is a disconnect. And let me explain to people uh, what, what this meant. Uh, you know it, of course. Uh, uh, we've, as we have shown many times in the past when we did the series on the Quranic manuscripts, that the Quran, when it was written, the rasm itself, the structure of words, does not really have dotting or uh, markations to help with the pronunciation. Okay, I'm going to simplify it, how to pronounce it. And what Sadiqi is saying is that you can use some of these dots that help with the pronunciation as a proof that it was added later when they began to discover that not everybody is able to remember it that way or read it that way. So these dots can help you when you're reading it or memorizing it, how to pronounce it correctly. Yeah, and they needed to do that because... Or the earlier script, the Arabic script in the seventh century, only had about between fourteen and sixteen consonantal characters. Right, skeletal text we call it, or consonantal text, consonantal script, and one little shape like this could be five different letters, mm-hmm. and so that's why they needed to introduce these dots. Now, five dots, three above and two below, 
we're really only introduced in the 8th century, and we're only canonized around the 9th century. So that's why Bergman and Sedegia said we need to be careful about just taking the radiocarbon date. Though they're not saying this in this quote. What they're saying is let's look at the paleography. Let's look at the orthography. Because it has these vowelizations, because it has these dots, uh, diacritical marks, it must be at a later date. Uh, Eleanor Salat is another scholar. Uh, and let's see what she says. She's said. wonderful. I love, by the way, her um, writings. She has a Twitter thread that she uses usually to interact with many of the writings uh, concerning Quranic manuscripts. Okay, so, so you know images. her personally, not having face-to-face, but you've seen her writings herself. That's right, yeah. So you know her better than I do. And she says she looked at the original text of this palimpsest, and she compared it with other manuscripts from the Sana'a connection, such as the Dam uh, 01-29-1. And this is what she concludes, that based on their similarities, uh, that the dating for the, the, she would date it to the early 8th century uh, because of the fact that they're so close to these other manuscripts that are dated to that period. So that's why she did, looking with other manuscripts and comparing them, you then get that date. Again, that's the early 8th century. What about others? Well, uh, Doroche wades into this whole discussion when he goes and he says that the upper text is made uh, probably mid-8th century. Uh, the upper text of the Sana'a manuscript, he says, is also a Quran, which he identifies as a copy of the text made not before the middle of the 8th century. So now we're talking about the upper text. Remember, the lower text was beginning of the 8th century. The upper text, that's the one that's mm-hmm. uh, you've been washed off and then you write over top. He puts it to the mid-8th century. So Doros continues, when he said, looking at both texts. According to Rosh, what we have in the under text, that's the lower text of the Salah manuscript, is a witness to a different early version of the Quran. Ooh, so he's already talking about two different Qurans here. One is an early version. Then he continues, only once, the quote-unquote Uthmanic text. So that's the lower Let's text. Let's say what he's talking is a pre-standard Quran. Okay. Pre-standard. He's calling it Uthmanic because that's what the standard Islamic narrative, that's what all the, yeah. the scholars say. But what he's saying is this Uthmanic text had achieved dominance, uh, but it, it was then erased and replaced with the canonical version of the Quran in the middle of the 8th century. Bingo. Well, already he's now saying that there are two completely different Qurans. That's why it had to be erased. That's why it had to be changed. And let me say something, Ajay. As someone who grew up as a Muslim, this is taboo to hear something like this. Are you telling me the Quran evolved? Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Let's continue yeah. the quote because he says that very thing. Thus, he continues, it would appear that the non-canonical versions, non-canonical, that means not the one that's became the standard. These are ones that are different than the standard, the canonical one. So the non-canonical versions of the Quran were still being produced as late, still being produced as late as 700 CE, that's the 8th century, and were only eliminated eventually through the effects of, or the efforts of, Abdul Malik and Al-Hajjaj to establish a particular version of the Quran as canonical. That's Doroshainis. Remember, he's the world authority on this. So what's, and that's why Shoemaker's quoting him, because you don't get somebody better than Darosh. And that the fact that Shoemaker quotes him is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, you need someone who is actually looking beyond just the carbon dating and saying, "Let's do a little bit more elbow work here." That's too simple. And we also start from the same premise as we said over and over again. When you start from that premise, folks, you're only talking about the skin. Let's talk about the ink. Let's talk about the ink. Wonderful. Now, what I want to do next. 
in the next episode. I want to do a comparison between those two scripts. I want to look and see what had changed. If, as we see Dorosh is saying, as Salad is saying, as Sedegi and Berman are both all saying, that this is an 8th century upper text, possibly mid-8th century, uh, early 8th century lower text, let's even say late 7th century, I'm willing to go that, that's fine. The fact is there's two different texts, that means there must be an evolution between the two different scripts. Let's see if that's the case. That's what we're going to start with in the next episode. Wonderful. Thank you so much, and thank you everyone for joining us. This is Al-Fadi, over and out. God bless you. Take care. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al-Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Greetings, everyone. This is Al-Fadi, and uh, I am so excited that, uh, you know, you have been interacting with uh, with us through this video series on creating the Quran. We appreciate your comments, and we look always forward to reading uh, your uh, interactions with us. We also, we're looking forward to having any suggestions from you, whether related to this topic or others. And thank you for some of you even send us emails about maybe new uh, sources, data, findings, research, whatever the case might be. We're always appreciative of that. Of course, when I say this, I mean myself, Dr. J. Smith, who is with us here in studio. We've been talking about uh, carbon dating, and we've used the Sana'a manuscripts as an example of that, and we mentioned it is called polymsis because simply it has a lower layer that was washed off and then rewritten on it what we call the upper layer. Today, we'll continue uh, with our discussions and unpacking of what uh, would that look like, meaning if we compare the lower layer to the upper layer, the writings, I should say, that is found on both. Uh, Dr. J, thank you so much as always. Well, it's always good to be here. Yeah. It's terrific that we're able to unpack this. Uh, what I want to do is I want to go to the slides and I want to talk about this, the lower upper layer. Uh, so let's go to the slides. You can see the two layers of the Sana'a Palimpsest. Is this the earliest manuscript we have and does it show an evolution in the text? That's the question. Right. That's when we want it. To and, and you can take people to a slide. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Let's yeah. go ahead. Uh, this is a picture of it. Uh, you can see uh, on the left there is the Sanab manuscript. That's the upper layer. But when you look and put it under ultraviolet light, you will see that there are two layers. Can you see that blue picture? There's the lower layer, in uh, just little faded, and then the upper layer. That's the later layer. So it's been wiped off, and then it's been rewritten over top. With By pulling it, by uh, separating these two layers on the right, then you see the lower layer. So you can read it, uh, You can and you can see that there are differences. What's fascinating, the person who has done the best work on this is, well, maybe not the best work, but certainly the one who's written about it is... Uh, Asma Hilari. I have her book right here. Uh, this is called the Sanaa Palimpsest, the transmission of the Quran in the first centuries uh, AH. That means yeah. uh, uh, Al-Hijra. And I don't want to be fair. Uh, as a PhD student, I appreciated her work. And uh, regardless of how you agree or disagree with her conclusions, at least the bulk of the work that she's done, the body of the work is very helpful. Yeah. I would suggest do get this. This is a good book. Yeah. 
be careful of her conclusions. You can see why, because the other scholars who are looking at the same material as she did do not come to the same conclusion she does in the book. But give her credit, she was the first to get out there, and she's the first to get it published, which was being brave of her to do that. And that's why it's important. And the good thing about it is she did have the entire script up there, the entire text up there, and she was that gives us available so that we, the rest of us, who don't have access to this manuscript, therefore can get the can see it. So here's what she found. Let's go back to the slides again. In the lower text, the lower, we're talking not about a full Quran. We're only talking about 63 verses. That's all that there is. Right. That's, that's all we have. However, amongst those 63 verses are 70 variants. That means variants with the upper text. Not with the Quran we have today, because even the upper text doesn't necessarily agree with the Quran we have today. Just between the two layers, we have 70 variants. There are verbs, there are nouns. 25 times there are different verbs and nouns between the layers. Sometimes articles are missing, participles, conjunctions are different between the two layers. Uh, 29 times you have difference in prepositions and isolated letters. Also expressions change. 16 times entire sentences are different. Mm -hmm. Now, some overlap with the same verses. Go ahead. Right. I want to just uh, comment. Uh, when we say Sana manuscript, it's a collection of a lot of manuscripts. The one that we're specifically zooming in on right now is what we know as the DAM uh, 01-27. That's the one that was done in the studies of Asma Hilali. Okay, so DAM uh, 1-27. DAM starts for Dar al-Makhtutat, you know, basically where it houses this in Yemen. Good. I'm not even going to try to repeat that. There's a yeah. man who speaks it fluently. Yeah. So here you have 25 times different types of nouns and verbs, 29 times different types of prepositions, isolated letters, 16 times entire sentences that are different, some overlapping. We'll get into that in a future episode. I want to actually do a comparison and get your spin on it, get your feedback on it, because people say these are nothing really important. They're not really substantial. Yes, they are. Once you see the difference, you'll see it's quite substantial. Now, her uh, her. Uh, come back as this is called, this is nothing more than a school text. What is a school text? Well, what she meant is that it was used just for practice. Uh, scribes are being trained on how to write, possibly from memory. And it was just, you know, done for that purpose. That's why it, it cannot be taken uh, as if it's an official Quran, but rather people tried their best as they are learning how to write it down and how to remember it. They did the best they can and they discovered mistakes. They missed something. They uh, butchered something. They thought the Quran was saying this. And that's the conclusion that she reaches. Yeah. Of course, you're going to see that the scholars don't agree with that. But nonetheless, at least she had to keep up. She had to keep in line with the standard Islamic narrative. So she had to come up with some excuse. That's a pretty good educated guess from her part. There are huge problems with that. We're going to get into that later on. So I would suggest this is not a school text for, for, for a number of reasons. We're going to get to that. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Quinn, who has probably done more work on it and should have run the one, been the one to write the book on it. It was her husband that was part of the team that went down in 1981 to look at it and to film it and put it onto, uh, in, into, uh, 
microfilm, and that was confiscated by the Yemeni government when they started hearing what these German scholars were finding. They kept it there until the late 1990s when they finally gave him their microfilms back. And I meant to, I went to see Dr. Garrett Quinn when he was when he first received it, and he was he was the one that actually let me film uh, take some pictures of the facsimile that he he and his wife had put together, and it was fascinating because that facsimile which we looked at in the when we looked to the Sodom manuscript, they had orange marks all the way through it. And every time there was an orange mark, that was a manuscript variant. Mm-hmm. That's the, that was the, what he saw from, uh, from the, the Huff's Quran that we use today. So her conclusion was that this is nothing more than an ancient Quran with corrections, then washed off and rewritten in 705. But that, lead, that leads up to questions as to why. So let's go to the next slide. Why was the lower text erased? That's the question we're asking. Because you have to, you don't just erase something. If it's that important, obviously it must not have been that important. Possibly uh, the text had faded and um, it was illegible. And that's why they didn't have to write over. Maybe that's the case. Yep. And I want to add, uh, you know, obviously we're saying why is it erased when in fact you're talking about a caliph who authorized this, who can afford to buy leather pieces rather than to reuse some. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Another possibility that she came up with was possibly the text was inaccurate and needed correcting. So now this causes some problems for a lot of Muslims. How can you have that which is eternal? How can you have that which has no error? How can you have that which has always existed that has no human interference? How can you have that which the Quran itself says no man has touched in chapter 10, verse 15, in chapter 15, verse 9, in chapter 18, verse 27, over and over again, this does not, no man can touch it because God himself in chapter 15, verse 9, protects it, if God himself protects it, you can't have inaccuracies that need correcting. There's no room for correction. Man cannot even manipulate one word or one letter. How many times have Yasakadi said this? How many times do you hear Muslims say this? Not one word, not one letter. So even when she made that suggestion, that caused hackles to be raised. She went on to another possibility. The text was obsolete and needed updated. Maybe it was a different type of grammar, needed a different type of preposition. Even that suggests that God has not protected it, that therefore, when it was given to me... Or at least it wasn't preserved in memory, as uh, we've been hearing. Yeah. And uh, I would go with uh, possibly number four, because this is what we're going to get to when we get to the next episodes. Possibly the text was a nascent form of a later upper text. That's what I would suggest is going on, but I don't want to jump the gunion because I want to see what the other scholars have to say concerning this lower text. 63 verses, 70 manuscript variants. They are not just insubstantiated. They're not small. Uh, They are huge differences that we're going to get to in a future episode. Wonderful. Thank you so much, as always, uh, Dr. J. This is exciting, of course. Uh, People can see why... um, you know, we're just really uh, having fun, enjoying this particular video series. And I'm hoping that people are benefiting from the work and the uh, efforts that is put together and uh, collectively uh, uh, here uh, in order to present this material to you. Our hope is that you will first buy the book uh, because you're going to need it in your library, especially if you engage with Muslims. Number two, not only you take a look at what we cover, but even take a look at many of the other material found in the book. It's a big book. It's not just a few pages. Therefore, we cannot really cover every single arguments or every single point that is made there. And I think uh, once you have your hand on a book like this, now you begin to see 
uh, previous episodes that we've done from previous series concerning the origin of Islam in general and also the origin of the Quran. You can see why those issues are extremely pivotal when it comes to what we call the standard Islamic narrative versus what is being discovered now as a completely different narrative as uh, it comes to the origin of Islam as we know it. Dr. J, thank you so much. We look forward to the next episode and a continuation of this exciting discussions. Until then, have a blessed day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.